The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. First Peter chapter 2 is where we'll be this morning. We're going to look together at the first three verses in chapter 2. As we've been working through chapter 1 over the last eight weeks, um, we, we move through the first part of chapter 1, which is a lot of, of doctrine. It's a lot of theology. It really is the doctrine, the theology of, of salvation, the different aspects of salvation. Um, as, as Peter teaches us and reminds these churches of this salvation that is, is theirs. And then uh, Peter makes um, a shift in verse 13 to begin um, the application of, of this salvation. Now that you have been saved and how that happened and what all that means, now this is, is how you should live. And Peter's been, been giving this application through um, different imperatives. Imperatives are commands of certain ways um, to, to live, the things that we are to do because we have been saved. And we, we finished chapter 1 last week by looking at this imperative, this command, that we should love one another with a sincere brotherly love. Um, a kind of love that Peter shows us comes out of being born again, which comes through the Word of God, that it is the Word of God that causes you to be born again, and it is this new birth that enables you to love with sincere brotherly love. That was, was last week. Now, this week in chapter 2, verse 1, this idea of loving one another with a brotherly love continues. And just by way of reminder, we have a chapter break here. We have verse breaks here. These did not exist in Peter's letter. Um, these have been, been added later. Th later. This is just a letter written to churches that where um, a thought weaves itself through a letter. Just like you would write a letter and you're, you're, you know, you're not, okay, end of chapter 1, chapter 2, but you have a, a, a consistent flow of a thought, one thought that leads to another. That's how our epistles work. That's why um, studying through epistles, verse by verse, word for word, are important because you begin to see uh, the flow of the letter. And so that's what we have this morning, just a continuation of um, loving one another with a sincere brotherly love. Now, the reason why I say this is a continuation is because of the first word that we have in verse 1 of chapter 2, and that is the word, so. This is, is tying together the thoughts that have come before with these that are coming now. This is... Because you've been called to love with a sincere brotherly love, because you've been born again through the word of God, so, Peter says, do these things. Do these things. Now, there are two things that are listed in these three verses. Two imperatives. Two commands. But I believe that these verses are best understood as one major imperative, one major command that's the thrust of the, the text, and then an accompanying imperative that enables the main imperative. Everybody with me what I'm saying here? One main command with a, an accompanying command that enables 
this, this main command. So in these three verses, here's the main imperative. Long for pure spiritual milk to grow. That's the main imperative, that we are to long for this pure spiritual milk that enables growth. That's the main command. You do this in part by this accompanying command of putting away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. This is the way Paul, Peter writes it. Verse 1. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. That by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. When I was a teenager, we had a, a youth minister named Matt. And he had a phrase that he would use all the time. And it, it must have stuck because now, 20 years later, I still remember it. But he would say, uh, constantly, it is the nature of living things to grow. It's the nature of living things to grow. And that is the truth, right? That all living things grow. Nobody has to teach a living thing to grow. A living thing just grows. And when growth begins to stop or growth begins to decline, that's when this, this process of, of death begins, right? I mean, that's just the nature of living things. They are, they are born. They're on a trajectory of, of growth. When that growth begins to stop, then we're on a trajectory towards death. It is the nature of living things to grow. This great truth that, that Peter has mentioned now on multiple occasions is that we have been born again. We've been born again through the word of God, by the grace of God, because of the foreknowledge of God, the sovereign choice of God. We have been born again. What that means is we've seen we've been given new life. And now, out of this new life that we have in Christ, guess what our nature should be? One of growth. Spiritually, we were dead. We come to Christ in faith. We're born again. We're given a new life. And now uh, we have spiritual life. And so the nature of this spiritual life that we have should be one of spiritual growth. This is um, the, the, the natural progression of the Christian life. This idea of spiritual growth should be your desire. It should be my desire. It should be all of our desires to grow, to mature, to, to not be stagnant. Here's the, the, the great reality is that no matter where you are in your Christian life, whether you were saved last week or like Conrad 72 years ago, Amen. you have all of us Areas, rooms, places to grow. 
No matter where you're at in your Christian life, there is always growth that can happen. We never, in this life, we never arrive. But our desire should be constantly throughout our lives to grow, to have more love, to have more grace, to be more patient, more holiness, to be more Christ-like, to be more self-controlled, to be more disciplined. The list can go on and on and on in the different areas where we should desire spiritual growth. This is the main imperative that, that Peter gives here, that we're to have a yearning, a desire that leads to growth. We should all be desirous to grow. We should all be. What Peter teaches us is that if you want to grow in your spiritual life, then first and foremost, you must have this longing present in your life. There is a longing that leads to growth. But before that, there are some things that you must do and there are some things that must go. This is this accompanying command. Peter says it this way, verse 1. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So, because we've been called, because we've been born again to a, a sincere brotherly love, so, therefore, put away these things. Put away. This term here, put away, uh, literally is, is this, this, this same word, the same idea of, of taking off a garment of clothing. This is the exact same word that's used in the book of Acts when um, this, this mob begins to stone Stephen for his faith in Jesus Christ. And the scriptures tell us that they took off their cloaks. They laid them at the feet of Saul, who would later become Paul. But this word for taking off their, their cloaks is the same uh, root word used here to put these things away, to take them off. It means, metaphorically speaking, to put off moral evils, to take off sin. Now, we can't physically reach in and take off our evils, our moral evils, our sins. But spiritually, this is a metaphor for what we must do if we want to be able to have this longing that leads to growth. We must take these things and get rid of them. This idea of, of putting them off or, or taking them off is used regularly in the scriptures and it is usually followed by a list of sins that is to be put off. I'll give you a few examples of those. Romans chapter 13 starting in verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, and here it is, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. You take off these works of darkness, these moral evils, these sins, and in their place, you put on these godly things in your life. And then Paul 
gives us a, a list of those things. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but instead put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You see this again in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Different language, same idea. Put it to death. Take it off. Put it away. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. You, you've been born again. You once were in these things. You've been given new life. From this new life, you're called to grow. In order to grow, there are things that you must get rid of in your life. That's, that's Colossians. You see it again in Ephesians 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his, with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight, same word, and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's, it's language consistently used throughout God's word. It's consistent teaching throughout God's word. As believers now in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we are going to grow in him spiritually, then there are things that we must do away with, that we must put off, that we must take off, that we must put to death. And here in 1 Peter 2, Peter gives a list of these things. And this list deals with how we treat other people. That's what this list has to do with. And that makes sense, right, in the context. Because the context comes in loving with a sincere brotherly love. So if you're going to live with a sincere brotherly love, Peter says, so put away, and then he gives the list. This um, list is separated into three categories. And you see it through the use of the word all. So put away all malice. That's one. All deceit and hypocrisy and envy. That's two. And all slander. Let's look at them together. Peter says, put away all malice. What is it's malice? Malice is... Uh, simply understood wickedness. Malice is a, is, a, is a big term to describe whole categories of wickedness. Peter could have said, just put away all malice and been done with it. Everything else that Peter lists here has to do with malice. It all comes from malice. It comes from wickedness. To have malice means that you have a, a disposition that desires to harm another person. 
That's what malice is. It's a disposition. It's it's an attitude. It's a position of your heart that desires harm for another person, not good for another person. And Peter says, put away all malice. Why? Because it is impossible for a heart with malice to have the kind of longing that leads to growth. You can't have it. If you've been commanded, the the main imperative here is to have a longing that leads to growth. You cannot have that longing if there is malice in your heart. Put away all malice, Peter says. And then he says, and also all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy. Deceit is uh, cunning. It is craftiness. It's the same word used to bait a hook to catch a fish. It's it's to to have an attitude and to do things for the purpose to deceive another person, just like you deceive a fish into biting what it thinks is its dinner so that you can have it. So this is a disposition towards other people to deceive them. Hypocrisy, you know what this is. This is to conceal your true motives. Hypocrisy is play acting. It's this, this theater language, you know it, of putting on a mask, of hiding your true intentions from another person so that they don't know your real and true heart, which is a heart of harm in this context. Put that away. Put away hypocrisy. Be your real self. Be your real self. And then envy. Envy. Envy is a feeling of displeasure at the blessings of others. It's like malice is a disposition to harm others. Envy is this disposition of displeasure when another person is blessed and you are not. Peter says, put that away. Put away all malice. Put away all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy. And put away all slander. Slander, this is gossip. This is talking behind another person's back in order to bring them down. Slander oftentimes, but not always, oftentimes has to do with things that are untrue. To say things that are untrue to hurt another person or to say things that are true to hurt another person. If you do it behind their backs for the purpose of their harm. Slander is a strong word. It's so funny how it can find a fertile ground in our prayer requests in public, can it? We can conceal our slander in this cloak of so-called godliness as we ask for prayer for people. But we do it in such a way and with such a heart that causes them harm. Put these things away, Peter says. They do not belong anymore. You've been born again. So put these away. You know, this is important language for me, right? We've been born again. We are new creations. We've been made new. But we still have sin that clings, don't we? If we didn't, Peter wouldn't need to say, put these things away. 
It is not that you come to, to, to Christ in faith and you are born again and immediately all of these desires, all of these inclinations of the heart, all of these sins magically and radically disappear. Now there is some, some radical changes that happen and that should happen at being born again. I mean, you're, you're born again. You're made new. And there should be, there has to be some changes in attitudes or outlooks and purposes of our lives. But even in that, there's sin that still clings. And we all fight these battles. And if you fight these battles, you're not alone. If you fight these battles, it doesn't mean you're not a believer. It just means you need to put these things away. You need to actively and intentionally work to put these things away, to take these things off. Put them away. They don't belong because they steal your longing. You know, all of these are evidence of selfish longing. I mean, when you think about malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, at the heart of all of that is a selfishness that puts you as the center of everything and other people as secondary. But being born again, we're not called to selfishness. We're called to selflessness. This is a selfish longing. This is not the kind of longing that leads to growth. But instead, Peter says in verse 2, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. This is the main imperative. This is the main command. This is what we are called to do. We are called to long for pure spiritual milk. To drive this point home, that this should be our longing, Peter uses an analogy that they certainly all would have understood and we certainly all would understand because this is something that transcends culture and time and that is the the longing, the life, the attitudes of newborn children. Peter says, just like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual Milk, just like babies have an insatiable yearning for nourishment that comes in the form of milk, so you should long for pure spiritual milk no matter your age. In the same way, a child longs and yearns for nourishment that only comes through milk, so must you long and yearn for the nourishment that only comes through pure spiritual milk. This is a hunger that is appropriate, right? This is a hunger that will not be satisfied by anything else. I mean, if you've got your newborn infant and they're crying and they're hungry, they will not be satisfied with steak. And you can convince them all you want to. I promise you, the steak is better. The steak is good. The steak will fill you up. If you eat this steak in two hours, you won't be crying again for milk. Right? That's the greatest, one of the greatest days in the life of a parent is when you can start putting some stuff in the milk, right? When solid food starts coming. Because now this insatiable yearning isn't as often. 
But they can't be, they're not satisfied by anything else. So should we hunger and long for pure spiritual milk in such a way that we are not satisfied by anything else. That's Peter's analogy. Now, you may hear that, you may read that, and you may think. Now, wait a second. Doesn't God's word say that we should, long, we should move on from milk? I mean, here's Peter saying you should, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. But, but that longing then is only for a little while and it'll, it'll move on. That is not Peter's point. I can show you in just a second why that is not Peter's point. But there are other instances in the scriptures where it says that. I'll give you some examples. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready for it. This is not uh, Paul telling the church at Corinth, good job, way to go. You want some milk. This is Paul telling the church at Corinth, you ought to have moved on now to, to, to deeper things. But I couldn't give you those deeper things because you're still fleshly. You're not spiritual, you're fleshly. It's just seen again in Hebrews chapter five, starting in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So there are places in the scriptures where we're called to move on from from milk to solid food. However, this is an important point to make. You cannot take every text and press it on another text. You can't do it. Because what matters more? Context. Context matters more. And the context here is not move on from pure spiritual milk. That's not the context. That is the context in 1 Corinthians 3. That is the context in Hebrews 5. That is not the context in 1 Peter 2. And we can't take those verses and press them on this verse to make understanding in this verse. Instead, we look at the context in this verse and we get understanding out of the Word of God. We're not pressing it on to the Word of God. Peter says... We should have a deep longing for this pure spiritual milk throughout our entire lives. Now, what is this milk, right? I mean, what is this milk? Because it seems that Peter doesn't even tell us what this milk is, right? You should long for this pure spiritual milk. What is this pure spiritual milk? Well, he does tell us um, the translation's just not great. There are two descriptors that are really important to understand what this milk is that we should long for. And the first one is pure. You know what pure means. It is something that is unadulterated, something that is uncontaminated, something that is not mixed with anything else. It's pure. There's nothing contaminating it. And then Peter uses this word, spiritual. And here's where the translation can get difficult. 
This word here, spiritual, is an interesting word. It is logikos. Logikos in the Greek. Can you hear the, the root word in that? It's, it's the word word. I feel like Elizabeth Warren, was it her? No, it was Nancy Pelosi. The word word is a great word. It's a great word. It's the word word. The logikos. What Peter says is, long for the pure, wordy milk. It's what you're called to long for. There are times in the scriptures where this word is translated spiritual. One example of that is Romans 12.1. Offers your body as living sacrifices. What is your reasonable or your spiritual act of, of worship? But the root word here is word. This is to long for the pure milk of the word. That's what, that's what Peter means here when he says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. The pure milk that comes from the word of God. That's why it is spiritual, because it comes from the spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God that gives the Word of God, that has, has inspired these authors of God to bring the Word of God. It's the Spirit of God. This is the, the spiritual Word of God. It is spiritual in nature. This is a longing for the pure milk of the Word. That's what Peter means here. To long for the pure word of God in such a way that you will not be satisfied by anything else. Just like a newborn infant is not satisfied by anything except its mother's milk, so you yearn and long and desire the word of God in such a way that you are not satisfied by anything else. You need nothing else. You only need the word. Now, there are lots of things that, that counterfeit themselves as the word. But they're not the pure word. Long for the pure word of God. Unadulterated, uncontaminated. Only the word of God. That should be your, your longing. Should be your longing. I think of, of David Platt when he came to church at Brook Hills and all of the the trappings that, that Brook Hills has as, as, a, as a mega church and, um, you know, an in, incredible stage and everything that, that they have that, that really, you know, enhances the worship experience and he comes and takes it all away. And he says, is the word of God enough? If all this goes away, is the word of God enough to satisfy don't be fooled into thinking that you need these things. Don't be fooled into thinking that you need talented musicians, that you need comfortable chairs. You've never had them for nine years. By the way, today is nine years ago we started. You've never had them. They're ordered. You're going to have them. 
You don't need those things. You don't need those things. As a matter of fact, where these things don't exist, the word of God flourishes because the word of God is enough. It's the word of God that satisfies. Here, church, is the word what you long for? Peter says you are to long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. Long for it. Is the word of God what you long for? Is the word of God enough for you? Does the word of God satisfy you? Or do you need other things? You see, this is the longing that leads to growth. As the word of God is fed to your soul, you grow in godliness. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. There is a longing that leads to growth. And it is the longing, it is a desire for the pure word of God that leads to growth. Now, there's two things I want to say about this growth. The first is that growth is often imperceivable, gradual, right? I mean, you experience this personally, right? Because it's hard to tell that you're growing because you see yourself every day. It's hard to tell that your children are growing because you see them every day. But when you, you see somebody you haven't seen in a while or you seen a, see a, a child you haven't seen in a while and all of a sudden they've gone from here to here and it, it's overnight for you because you haven't seen them, but for those who are around them every day, it's unperceivable, right? That's why you mark it on the door so you can, you can tell because growth is, is oftentimes not easily perceived. It's gradual. It's slow. The same is true in our spiritual growth. It's not that, that overnight this miraculous and, and, and deep things happen, right? We don't go to bed Joel Osteen one night and wake up R.C. Sproul. It just doesn't happen that way. That's not the way things work. It's a, it's a slow process of growth that happens In our lives, as we long for the pure milk of the word, we grow. We grow. The second thing is that this is a growth into salvation. That's what Peter says here, right? That by it, this this milk, you may grow up into salvation. Salvation. So the growth up is gradual and it's into salvation. Now, what is this grow into salvation? Is this another instance where the scriptures teach that you can earn your salvation? The answer to that is no, because there's nowhere in the scriptures that teach you should earn your salvation. That's not what this is. See, there, are, there is three parts of salvation. The, the then, the now, and the later. That I have been saved, I am being saved, I will be saved. There's a moment where you come to faith, and in that moment, you're justified. That's the theological term. You're in that moment declared righteous before God. Like that's instantaneously through faith. 
That's the then. For those of you who are saved, that's the then. For those of you who are not saved, that can be the now for you. There's that moment of salvation. There's also the ongoing salvation. That is not justification, which is a one-time event, but sanctification, where you are being saved. You are being conformed into the image of Christ. That's the everyday life of the believer. That's the now salvation. But there is also a later salvation, right? In that there is a day coming when we will be saved from the wrath of God, and that comes when the wrath of God comes at judgment, right? So there is a later salvation. So when, when Peter says, so that in it you can grow up into salvation, what he's talking about here is the later salvation. That there is a kind of growth, a kind of spiritual growth. There is a longing that produces that growth that will last until the end. Until you are saved. You, as you grow up into this last and final salvation of your soul that comes at the end. There is a growth that lasts forever. And that fires me up. Because I don't want a, a temporary growth. I don't want a growth that, that comes up and is gone. I don't want to be a seed on a stony ground that shoots up for a minute, but it's burned away. I want to, I want to be a seed in, in the rich and deep soil that has roots that last so that I last to the end, that I grow to the end. You see, what Peter says is there is a longing that produces that kind of growth. And it's a longing for the word of God. Now, here is what is uh, miraculous to me. What are we commanded to do, church? We're commanded to long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it, you may grow. I love this. What I am called to do and what you are called to do is to cultivate an environment where God produces the growth. It's the word of God that brings the growth. It's the spiritual word of God that brings the growth in our lives. We're not responsible for the growth. What are we responsible for? The longing Long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. That by the word of God you may grow. We long for the word of God. God by his grace and his mercy takes the word of God, puts it in our heart and causes us to grow. The growth is his work, not our work. Just like our salvation was his work, so is the growth his work. We're called to long for it. I'm responsible to long for the word of God so that it can work in me to produce a growth that will work until the end. I have people all the time, Jason, how do, how do you grow? How do you grow spiritually? What have I got to do to grow spiritually? Oh, I got to do this, I got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. No, what you have to do is long for the word of God. 
have a longing for the word of God, just like a newborn baby longs for milk. You desire it so that you're not satisfied by anything else. You're coming to it regularly to receive the nourishment. And by it being hidden in your heart, hidden in your mind, God works in you to begin to cause growth to happen. And it's a growth that will last until the end. The reason that this growth lasts forever is because it doesn't come from us. It's not generated from us. It's generated from the word of God. And guess what? The word of God lasts forever. That was the end of chapter one. And then Peter closes. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is another instance that, and we've, we've seen a few throughout this letter so far. That's not so much a question, but a statement. It's since you have tasted that the Lord is good. You see, these brothers and sisters have already tasted that the Lord is good. Now, how do we know that? Because they've already been saved. This is, this is Peter just saying, hey, you've been saved. By the way, you've been saved. And so you should have this longing in you. You have tasted that the Lord is good. This word good is a, is a, a great word. It loses some of its punch, I think, with just good. Because lots of things are good. But this isn't just good. Better understood, this is gracious or kindness. That you have tasted and you have seen that God is gracious and he is kind. Now, where do we taste the, the graciousness, the grace of God. Where do we taste the kindness of God? We taste it for the first time at that moment of salvation, right? Scriptures say that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's when we come before him broken and humble, understanding our sin, our need for a savior, and we find in God, not a God who is, is bent on nothing but wrath, but instead a God who is characterized, who is marked, whose nature is also one of grace and kindness. When we come to him in humility, we find in him a loving father, that's chapter one, who gives grace out of his loving kindness. You have, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have tasted that God is good, that God is gracious, and that God is kind. You have tasted that. If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can taste that. You can taste the graciousness of God. You can taste the kindness of God. You can experience that. This is personal experience. This is metaphorical language, right? That's not this, this taste, right? You can taste, you experience, you, you take in the goodness the graciousness, the kindness of God. You see what, what Peter's implication is, you have already tasted that the Lord is good. And how did you taste that? How did you experience the goodness and the graciousness and the kindness of God? How did you come to know that? You came to know it through the word of God, right? Because how can they believe unless they hear? You can't. 
So how do you come to faith in Jesus Christ? How do you come to know and to experience the graciousness, the the kindness of God? You come to know it and you come to experience through the word of God. It's the word of God that brings salvation. It's that salvation experience where you understand the grace of God. Here's what Peter's saying. You have came to the word of God and you have tasted that God is gracious and he's kind. You've been there. Now let your life be marked by a longing to stay there. You've tasted it, church. Now have a longing, have a desire to go back to that well that never runs dry. God is good. God is kind. God is gracious. You've experienced it. You've tasted it. Why would you want anything else. It's the word of God that saves. That's the end of chapter one. And it is the word of God that leads to growth that lasts. That's the beginning of chapter two. Therefore, church, long for the pure word of God. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.